Hello, Husky fans. This is Max Cerullo, and you are listening to another episode of Yes, UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into the greatest UConn games of all time. And uh, we're going to continue our series uh, on the Big East again today. And uh, listen, you know, UConn used to rule the roost in the Big East, but it's pretty uh, un. It's pretty undisputable at this point that uh, Villanova is wearing the crown now. Uh, since UConn, you know, has been in the American Athletic Conference, Villanova has really kind of taken over the place. And uh, you know, so today, uh, Joe Giuliano from the Philadelphia Inquirer is going to join us. And uh, you know, we're gonna, I guess, just talk all about kind of where what Villanova's been up to and just sort of how it's all played out. Uh, so, Joe, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate the time. Pleasure, man. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, I guess just kind of a good place to start, you know, Villanova has always been a great program and they've always been a contender, but when the whole conference realignment happened, I don't feel like a lot of people expected them to take off to the degree that they did. So what is just, a, I guess, a good place to start. Tell us just how has Villanova been able to pull it off and become the the power that they've been, uh, been the last seven years? Well, Jay Wright's been able to uh, put together a system that uh, you know works for him. Um, see, uh, when the Big East was still going with uh, Villanova and Connecticut, like in the early 2010s, uh, Jay Wright felt it was a, is a responsibility for him to get the best players uh, he could out of high schools. And it turned out after a, a season, I think it was the 2011-12 season, where they finished 13 and 19, Jay realized that hey, you know, we don't need you know, three, four, you know, we don't need four or five star people. We need people who can play, but who also can buy into our culture and our philosophy. And that is uh, what they call Villanova basketball. I know it's a cliche and Jay always looks at me to see uh, that I roll my eyes every time somebody says Villanova basketball in an answer. But uh, it's basically playing as hard as you can, playing for your teammates, playing with pride and playing unselfishly. And that's really the kind of guys they've had, starting with Ryan Archidiakono who uh, was a freshman when he came in, obviously, uh, in the 12-13 season. And uh, that's really where it started with him. Uh, you know, Jay made him a captain his freshman year, which is unheard of. But it was Ryan who kind of set the table for everybody and all the recruits who came in uh, followed that template. And then the people who came in after that followed the template that were left by guys like Josh Hart and, and people like that. So... Uh, that's really where it's gotten to. And now it's kind of like a, I don't know, I don't want to say a dynasty because they were only 25 and 10 last year. Uh, so wait, it was 25 and 10 the year before, uh, not, not last year. They were 23 and 7 last year. Uh, you know, 19 and 20, the 1920 season still counts. But uh, uh, but yeah, they're uh, they're doing well. Uh, they, they didn't really lose anybody from last year's team with the exception of Sadiq Bey, who may be a lottery pick in the, in the NBA draft in November. Um, and then uh, they'll have a, a pretty good recruiting class coming in next season. So it just keeps going. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been something to watch, you know, like you know, just you know, the, the two national championships that they won were very impressive. Uh, and, you know, just even even before that, the like Villanova has always been competitive. Um, so I, I want to obviously dive into this a lot deeper, but just to, just to kind of back up real quick, you, I know you've been you know, on the Villanova beat for uh, some time now. Can you tell us a little bit about your history covering Villanova and just sort of your experience, uh, I guess, kind of over the years? Well, I've been around a long time, so long that I covered Villanova when Roly Massimino was the coach. Uh, I did not do the 85 championship game, but it was the 87-88 uh, uh, season. I took over the beat, 
And then I, uh, we, we've, we've changed around a little bit. Sometimes we've had beats where each of us would do one team. And other times we just do the big five. Whoever was off that night did the big five game, whether it was Villanova, St. Joe, LaSalle, Temple, or Penn. Um, and then I, I did Sixers uh, for four years from 2003 through 2007. And then I went back to the Villanova beat full-time and just Villanova since then. And I've been able to cover some uh, you know, pretty neat stuff. Uh, uh, obviously, three Final Fours, two national championships. It's been, uh, it's been interesting. Uh, and uh, you know, Villanova's been a lot of fun to do. And Jay Wright makes it that way because he really doesn't make your life difficult like some coaches do. Um, you know, he's, uh, he gives you all the time he can. When it's, when it's our turn with Jay, he'll give us all the time we want. And then uh, he goes and does his thing, and we go write our stories. But it's uh, it's been it's been fun, and you've really met some good kids. And covering the Big East, let's face it, Mac is like the best one of the best gigs around. Uh, you get to see some really good teams and some good players. And we're in a situation at the Inquirer where um, where uh, I get to travel with Villanova to all their road games. Now, in the age of the pandemic, this season, I don't know how much traveling I'm going to be doing, but. Uh, uh, it's always good to uh, visit other venues like Creighton and uh, Providence and places like that. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a good beat to have. Yeah, I, I have to say I'm quite jealous. It's a uh, you know to <laughs> to be able to cover any Big East school over that period of time is just a it's a really cool thing. And you know your your tenure obviously kind of coincides nicely with UConn's uh, rise to power. You know they won the, the NIT in 1988. You know, they reached their first, uh, you know, they, they reached the Elite Eight in uh, 90 and kind of just take off from there. So you've been, you've kind of seen the whole thing play out. And I'm just curious, just like your thoughts on, we'll say like the UConn-Villanova rivalry over the years, because they have had quite a few pretty important games. Uh, you know, they were the 1995 Big East Championship is a, a big one that, uh, you know, the Villanova took. There have been many others over the years. Any any thoughts just kind of just, uh, you know, watching this thing grow and, you know, to you know, at least up until like twenty, you know, twenty fourteen. Obviously, watching this thing grow over the years. Oh yeah, it's always been very impressive to watch. Uh, you know, it was always cool too to have like a such a such an incredible collection of coaches. Um, you know, you had uh, you know, John Thompson, Luke Carnesecca, you know, Jim Calhoun. I mean, Jim Calhoun was uh, was a fixture at UConn once he took over, and uh, you know, he's he obviously led them to a, a lot of success over the years. Um, so that's been fun to watch. And then when Jay Wright came in and, and the 2001 season, um, you know, it became a pretty good rivalry. I mean, it was a good rivalry before that with Steve Lapis in charge at Villanova, but I didn't do too many uh, seasons of that uh, in the 90s. Um, it was always fun to, you know, to see a, a UConn game no matter where it was. But the uh, but some of the, the best uh, games that I, I remember were the games that uh, happened in the four or five seasons before uh, the Big, the, uh, big East uh, that split up, but they kind of reorganized and all the football schools went elsewhere and the non-football schools uh, came in. That's not to say Villanova was a non-football school, but they did not want to uh, go up to uh, 1A FBS level. They wanted to stay in the FCS, 1AA. And uh, that's uh, that's what they were doing. And that's how the Big East became uh, the Big East with, uh, you know, basketball schools and any basketball teams that played football played in the lower classification. So that's how it worked out for them. But there's been some pretty neat games. I mean, you've had some uh, great personalities. Like you mentioned, the 95 team, you know, you'd carry Kittles and those guys, and then Ray Allen and Khalid Alamine and people like that. And then uh, uh, 
Sure. In the, in the, in the, after 2010, you had Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker was in some pretty interesting games against Villanova, as was Shabazz Napier. Um, you know, they, uh, uh, you know, I, I know that Jay, when, when UConn left, you know, Villanova's played UConn three times in the non-conference. <laughs> That's how much Jake thinks of UConn, that once they left the uh, Big East, uh, you know, uh, Villanova still wanted to schedule it. And uh, I think that says a lot about Jay's regard for UConn and just his re- regard for Eastern basketball, you know, just making sure that even though UConn was in another conference playing, uh, you know, other teams, including teams from like Texas and Louisiana and Oklahoma and things like that, at least you knew that, uh, you know, that uh, most everybody here, everybody, uh, the, the media and people involved with Villanova considered UConn an Eastern school with, uh, with uh, you know, good to keep up the rivalry and, uh, you know, keep up the interest in the basketball. I had an interesting quote when I was prepared for this, Mac. I, I don't mean to ramble on like I'm doing here, but um, the um, um, Jay was uh, commenting last year when they played uh, UConn at the Wells Fargo Center. And uh, Jay said uh, there was one time out where UConn had a run and he could hear the H-U-S-K-I-E-S and the U-C-O-N-N, UConn, UConn, UConn. And he said it reminded him, reminded him, reminded him of the old days when you know UConn would bring four to five thousand people down to Philadelphia for a game at the Wells Fargo Center. Um, you know, he, he really liked the, the what UConn contributed to the atmosphere, their fans, and he's looking forward to uh, to it again now as. Uh, they begin conference play once again. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, I want to talk about that game uh, in some greater detail for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I'm also glad you brought up those uh, like early 2010s matchups because those were, you know, I, I covered uh, UConn basketball in the 2011 season back when I was in college. And, uh-huh. you know, that game at Hartford that, you know, Kemba won at the last second was one of the loudest I think I ever remember hearing the XL Center in Hartford. It was just a absolute banger in, that, in there that day. And the, the Shabazz game was was awesome too, for sure. Um, and you know, I guess that kind of brings us nicely to kind of where things kind of diverge. So the big East kind of reorganizes in the 2013, 2014 timeframe. And, you know, it's in hindsight, it's easy to lose track of this, but like, it wasn't really a sure thing. Like, you know, when the big East kind of became the new big East, we weren't necessarily sure if it was going to work. And obviously it has worked. But what do you recall the vibe was like around the Villanova fan base and around the school and the program? How were people feeling about things at that point? Well, they were feeling bad. Uh, obviously, you lose BC, UConn, Pitt, Louisville. <laughs> you, you miss some really great teams that had to leave. Um, I don't think they really liked it that much. I mean, you had new teams coming in and Butler and Creighton. Um, so I don't know if anybody really... Well, it was going to work. DePaul was another new team coming in. Marquette had joined the Big East earlier, but uh, it was just, I don't don't know. I I think people were just kind of bummed to see if this would all work. Um, But then again, too, when you looked at the teams as they lined up, you know, Villanova probably had, you know, one of the best programs of any of them. Providence was a very strong program, obviously. Seton Hall, you know, the Eastern program, St. John's. but uh, you weren't sure about the people, you know, from out from outside the area, the Xaviers and the Butlers and the Marquettes and the Creightons and the DePauls of the world. Would they, uh, you know, fill the bill, or you know, would they would they be schools of the caliber of the of the Eastern schools 
that were merging with these uh, Midwestern schools. So I think there was some reluctance early on, although it was kind of funny the first year Creighton came to the Wachovia Center and blew Villanova out. And then when they went back to Creighton, uh, Doug McDermott had like an all-world game, and uh, that was another semi-blowout. It wasn't quite as bad as the first one, but uh, I think people knew that there was uh, some teams that could play basketball. Vic- Villanova was 16-2 and in the conference that first season, and Creighton had beaten them twice by like a total of like 50-something points. So, uh, so I think they knew that Creighton could play a little bit, and... Uh, you know, after a while, it, it seemed to uh, all work out that this was going on, and uh, and, and it was just it, it just went on from there. And Villanova, of course, had its share of successes in the league. I mean, obviously, in the uh, six years they've played now, I, I always have to count on my fingers to make sure I have enough years here. Fourteen, fifteen, six. Okay, seven years. <laughs> they've played seven seasons, and Villanova's won or shared the the uh, regular season title six times. And they've won three Big East championships, so that's uh, I'd say that's pretty successful. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's uh, without a doubt. And what's uh, something that I've observed that's kind of interesting is when this new Big East forms. I was thinking, okay, and a lot of people were thinking at the time. All right, well, Villanova's going to be good. Georgetown's going to be good, and you know we'll see kind of how else things shake out. You know, Creighton and Xavier, we think are probably going to be con- contenders. You know, most years. You know, then. Yeah, then obviously the other the other programs are all for the most part strong and DePaul, you know, they were DePaul was kind of the only program you looked at as like, all right, well they're just kind of there, you know, that had, you know, they they'd been around for a few years before the other Midwestern schools, but like, you know, either either way, like you're you're hitting your batting average in this conference is pretty good, but in terms of the elite schools, it felt like Georgetown and Villanova are your top guys. But what's happened is interesting. Georgetown has not really taken off in a meaningful way. They've really I had I did an episode recently with a, a Georgetown guy and he described the experience as pain. <laughs> pain and disappointment. So what do you think is that allowed Villanova to thrive where Georgetown and well, I mean, to a lesser extent, you know, Seton Hall and Providence and schools like that did better than they were doing before, but you know, Villanova really took off and, you know, maybe in a, in a way that other schools didn't. So what made Villanova unique in their experience? Well, I think it was the way Jay approached um, recruits, really, or just approached the whole idea of the reorganized Big East. He says, you know, hey, we're, we're now a basketball conference. You know, we are major decisions are made on behalf of basketball. Uh, and Fox Sports, obviously, at the time needed programming because they were organizing this new channel called Fox Sports One. And like, oh, voila, here's all these Big East teams uh, playing on Fox or Fox Sports or Fox Sports Two, which I keep telling people nobody gets Fox Sports Two, so don't publicize that. Just say Fox or Fox Sports One. But, um, you know, Jay really embraced that part of it. And uh, he had a very good selling point with recruits and their families that, hey, this is, this is how we're going to do this. We're going to be on national TV every single game we play. And that's, uh, that's been a big selling point, I know. And Jay is just a, you know, a, fa- a fantastic recruiter as well. I mean, it's, his recruiting skills have really proven, proven themselves over the years. He's been at Villanova. This is his 20th season now. Um, so... Yeah, but I think it was just the way he approached the Big East and how he handled it and how he uh, just was a real cheerleader for the Big East. Hopefully, like they say, the uh, a rising tide floats all boats or whatever cliche that is. And, uh, you know, Villanova's brought other teams in with him, I think, uh, you know, to be uh, 
contenders for the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, one year they had you know six teams. They, they, they've they've usually had half, at least half of their teams in the NCAs every year. So that's how it's been working, and and that's really. Um, what Jay's philosophy has been. Nice. Awesome. So I have, so once the, uh, the new Big East era starts, um, obviously things kind of take off pretty quickly. Uh, but in the first year, you know, Villanova is a two seed in the 2014 tournament and UConn as a seven seed upsets them in the second round. And I remember at the time, I didn't find that to be a huge surprise at all because Villanova at that point had had a, a several years in a row of disappointing uh, tournament appearances, like basically between their final four and 09 and then was, you know, just a lot of underachieving. And obviously that changed in a hurry. <laughs> After that, they, you know, they went the national championship two years later. So I'm just curious, you know, what was it about we'll say kind of the year two or year three of the, uh, the new big East era that allowed Villanova to finally break through after, you know, really for almost at that point, it must've been like five or six years. They had struggled in the postseason. Well, it's just basically, uh, you know, getting some veterans on your team, the 2015, 2016 team really had, uh, two very strong veterans and Ryan Archidiakono and Daniel Oshefu. And they were the people that made the thing go. Um, you know, the funny thing about that year was, um, I'm trying to make sure I don't get my years, my years tend to run together sometimes, and I just don't want to uh, say anything that's embarrassing or anything, but uh, the 2016 year, I remember they played Oklahoma in the uh, final four, in the semi national semifinals, and Oklahoma had just killed them in a game at Pearl Harbor in December, and uh, everybody was really scared about um you know, Oklahoma playing them again, especially Buddy Heald, who is a fantastic shooter and uh, a guy who really beat up on him in, in that December game in Hawaii. And uh, in this game, Buddy Heald hit the first basket, and everybody was going, oh, no, he's going to go for 40. It was the only basket he hit in the game. That's how uh, crazy that game was. And they beat Oklahoma by close to 40 points. And then, of course, had that classic game against North Carolina in the uh, – national championship final but the thing was you had the strong leadership as i mentioned of archie diacono and Oshefu. you had some really good juniors coming in um with um josh hart and chris jenkins of course who hit the winning shot um you had phil booth who had 20 points in the national championship game um you had um uh, Mikel bridges who's now with the phoenix suns who uh was like a defensive ace in the game against kansas in the regional final he had five steals in the game and uh, everybody was just uh, tickled to death because it was a very low-scoring game, and it was the, the team that played the better defense was going to win. And thanks to Mikel Bridges, it was Villanova. So, um, so that's really what brought it together was uh, just just kind of like the the levels of play, Mac. If, if you can understand this, like the seniors at the top being the leaders, and the juniors learning from the seniors, and they and they passing on their knowledge to the sophomores, and then the next year in seventeen. Josh Hart and Chris Jenkins were the seniors, and they were tutoring the, the boots and everybody of the world below them and Bridges. And then the 2018 team with the well, 2016 team had Jalen Brunson. I, I forgot to mention him. And by the time the 2017-2018 season came around, Jalen Brunson was a junior and the leader of the team. So it, it's really been the way uh, Jay Wright has recruited. And you're right. I mean, they had some real uh, – they really had some real crushing uh, losses even the, the team between the 16 champions and the 18 champions the 2017 team was expected to repeat 
and they got knocked down in the second round by Wisconsin. So you just never take anything for granted. It's uh, it, it, and the funny thing is, you mentioned uh, you know the Villanova's problems in the NCAA tournament before that 2016 national championship team, but you know 15 was bad. 14 and 15 were bad. 16 they won a championship. 17 they got knocked out the first weekend. 18 they won a championship. 19 they got knocked out the first weekend. So. It's either feast or famine with these guys. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> UConn hasn't been in the tournament at all since '16, so I, I think you know we our fans would certainly c- uh, consider getting back to having a f- second round exit as a disappointment be a, a nice place to be for sure. Um, the 2016 final was nuts. <laughs> I, w- w- without a doubt, one of the most fun college basketball games I've ever seen, and uh, to, to cover that must have just been out of control. Like, so you know, I, again, I mentioned I covered Kemba's uh, championship season. That final against Butler, not exactly a textbook example of like the best basketball game ever played. It was a a rock fight. Um, uh, Mike Anthony from the Hartford Current famously described it as a tractor pull. Uh, I I prefer the phrase a beautiful disaster. Just a, it it was ugly as heck for, to have a chance to cover that game with that ending. What was that like? Just to, you know, to, just to be there in the building, to watch it happen. And then to talk to the kids afterwards, what was that like for you? It was surreal. I mean, all I can remember is Chris Jenkins hitting the shot and I sat in my seat for like 45 seconds, just marveling at what I just saw. And then I looked at my watch and it was 1133 and it was like, you better start writing pal, or they're going to like have your head when, when you get back to Philadelphia. So that was the hardest part about that was actually trying to put it down on paper because what you had just saw seen was the most amazing thing. And the second most amazing thing was the shot that Marcus Page hit for Carolina on the position before Jenkins is shot. So you see, you saw two of the great shots in NCAA history. One to, uh, to have a miraculous tie for North Carolina. And the second was a, a game winning buzzer beating national championship shot. So, but it, but it was, it was just, it was so much, fun to be there uh you know we had a lot of uh writers there we had like five or six and uh you know it was just great to be together with everybody and to uh chronicle the hometown team it's uh, there's nothing better than doing that really and and villanova as i had mentioned before it's just uh, you know very cooperative and they don't give you a hard time and uh it's easy to do your job so that was uh that was really a a, a fantastic experience really um and you had so many different heroes in the game. I mean, obviously, Chris Jenkins hit the game-winning shot. Phil Booth came off the bench and scored 20 points. I mean, I don't think anybody expected that. And uh, everybody else played their roles. Archie Diacono, the cool floor leader, and Oshefu, the big guy in the middle, and and uh, Josh Hart, you know, slashing from the wing there. There was a big four-point turnaround at the end of the first half, I remember, where you know Josh Hart blocked a Carolina shot at one end and then made a basket at the other end just before the buzzer. So... I mean that was a big that was a big play going into the locker room at halftime, being uh, down by four instead of being down by eight. So uh, yeah, so that was uh, pretty much it. If uh, if I'm rambling on a little back, it's uh, was there anything specific you just asked me there? Or was no, it just no, the, that's that's what I wanted. You know, you just gotta you know you get a special moment like that, you just gotta soak it in. Um, so if I can just kind of a follow up on that, you know, yeah, sure. 2016 was the Cinderella run. 2018 was more of a death march. Like you guys, like the team was really 
just favored and just was clearly obviously a dominant team. And they, you know, when they won it all, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't terribly surprising at all. So how, what was the experience like covering that where before it was like, you're waiting for the breakthrough and now you're like, you know, it's a chance to win a second title in three years. Yeah. If I recall correctly, every one of those six games, they won by double digits. Uh, the thing I remember about the tournament was the, um, the hardest game they had was the uh, East Regional Final in Boston against Texas Tech. Um, that was a really tough team. They played great defense. They couldn't shoot too well, but Villanova wasn't making a lot of shots either against their defense. So I think that was the one that really had everybody worried. I, I don't think they were that worried about it. I think they were more worried about you know the second round game because they've had bad luck in second round games and they really blitzed Iowa. So that was that was a big win for them. And then West Virginia in the uh, regional semifinal, really kind of beat them up. It was a very physical game that they didn't really pull away from uh, West Virginia to, in, until the last five minutes. But Texas Tech was like, you know, all right, well, they got by West Virginia. I mean, we all knew what West Virginia was capable of because obviously they're a former Big East school too, and people tend to follow you know teams like that even though they're in the Big 12 now. But Texas Tech, people said, ah, you know, this shouldn't be that hard, and it was. It was a real... It was a real fight. Uh, I think it was the last minute and a half, two minutes, that Villanova actually got up and actually won by by 10 points. But still, it was a, a real battle of the game. And then you go to the uh, uh, San Antonio. It's funny, both of their national championships have been in Texas, which uh, meant we had a lot of barbecue that we ate. UConn has done the same. Yeah, I think we can relate there. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway... Um, the first game, the regional, the national semifinal was against Kansas, and it was something like twenty-two to five in the first, uh, you know, four minutes or something. It was just something crazy. Um, you know, Bill Self tried everything: zone, man-to-man, box and one. I never saw a team play so much, so many defenses in the first ten minutes of a game, and, and nothing worked. And uh, you know, Villanova won that. It was it was basically a game where Villanova was leading by eighteen points in the first 10 minutes of the game and then the next 30 minutes all the Villanova fans were on the edge of their seats going god don't don't catch up don't catch up it was it was too easy at first and uh it turned out to be a pretty you know one-sided win for Villanova and then the next game was against Michigan and we all know how much respect that uh, Jay Wright has for John Beeline who was coaching Michigan at the time um and they had some great talent too uh, Wagner and uh all these other guys they had were, uh, you know, good shooters. Had a, they had a good system, and I know Jay was scared to death about them. And uh, if my memory serves, wasn't Duncan Robinson on that team? Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, so that was a, a game that uh, you know, everybody was really kind of worried about. And then uh, I think it was a, a stretch in the second half where Villanova really got off and just kind of lengthened their lead little by little as the game wore on. That was the game that Dante DiVincenzo scored like 31 or 33 points. I can't remember the exact number, but uh, it's the most points ever scored by a bench player in a, in a Final Four. So um, that kind of, not only did that uh, give Villanova the national championship, but it also meant that Dante DiVincenzo was leaving. So uh, that kind of 
had Jay a little perplexed because, uh, <laughs> you know, he was kind of hoping for DiVincenzo to be back since he was only a sophomore. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he played too well. Yeah. You better, you better go. It is what it is, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was funny because of the four guys they had eligible for the draft that year, uh, DiVincenzo was the second one taken. It was uh, Bridges first and then uh, then uh, DiVincenzo and then Pascal and uh, not Pascal. Um, God, who was the? Brunson? Brunson was the last guy to pick. He was he was picked fourth in the second round, and you know found found a way to stuck with stick with the uh, Dallas Mavericks. But I'm trying to think of who the fourth player was. I'm blanking out, but I'll, I'll think of it, Matt. Don't worry. It's all good. We can you can interrupt me later. So yeah, so obviously you know Villanova's recent history very very good. Um, now as far as like the the present, uh, the team was recently picked uh, number one in the Big East preseason poll. Uh, by all accounts, the team is looking really good once again. Uh, what should the UConn fans know about this year's Villanova team uh, once the the season gets going in a couple weeks, hopefully? Well, one of the thing is uh, one of the things is they they have everybody back. I think I mentioned that, with the exception of Sadiq Bay, but they didn't have to bring in any freshmen. They have a transfer kid named Caleb Daniels who came in from Tulane. He was their leading scorer uh, the two years he was there. Then he came up to Villanova, sat out last season, you know, practiced with the team, but obviously didn't play in any games. So, um, so they didn't really have to bring in anybody new. The two new faces that you haven't seen before are Caleb Daniels and a gentleman by the name of Eric Dixon, who's uh, who was Pennsylvania High School Player of the Year as a senior at Abington High School in the northern Philadelphia suburbs. Um, Dixon redshirted because uh, Jay felt he was uh, out of shape and uh, he really wanted him to work on his inside moves. The kid's got a nice uh, mid-range game and a good inside game, but he wanted him to uh, uh, get on a better diet, lift, start lifting weights, and to work on his inside moves. And one thing about Jay is really big is development. He is just sick that they did not have any time together in the late spring or summer because of the pandemic, everybody had to stay home. So when he finally got the kids in in mid-August, uh, he had missed the whole summer of uh, developing each kid um, in, in all areas. You know, shooting, defense, rebounding, ball handling, team play, that kind of stuff. That, Jay's really a, a stickler for that. And uh, the fact that he didn't have that, he really feels like he's behind the eight ball, but with a veteran team that, uh, you know, that returns everybody, it's, uh, with the exception of Sadiq Bay, it's, uh, there are, uh, <laughs> there are tougher problems to have than just having everybody back and, uh, trying to get everybody together for a new season. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, like you said, there are a bunch of guys back, uh, some pretty notable guys like Colin Gillespie is looking like probably one of the best players in the conference. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe Jeremiah Robinson Earl is back. Uh, yes. Jermaine Samuels, is he back? Yes. So th- those are, you know, th- the, certainly the three guys I know best. What 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 can you tell me about them? Because you know, for listeners who may not be as familiar, like you know, w- the top guys on Villanova's roster, uh, kind of what what did they bring to the table? Well, Colin Gillespie is really the kind of player that Jay loves. A guy that runs the team on the floor, runs the team off the floor. Um, he's a uh, great defensive player, a good ball handler, good shooter, um, and, and a guy who just is all over. The, I mean, I mentioned earlier where Ryan Archidiakonos set the tone for Villanova. I mean, the guy was a leader. He's the guy that jumped over the press table to uh, get a loose ball. He was the guy who took charge after charge after charge. He was a guy who, uh, you know, 
could never sacrifice his body enough for the good of the team. And Colin Gillespie is pretty much that same kind of player. He's a little taller, probably a little better shooter, although Arch would probably kill me if he heard me say that. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, he knows the system. He knows Jay Wright, uh, you know, every which way you can on the floor. He, he's kind of like coach's mind on the floor. Um, so, yeah, he, he's, um, he, he was nominated today, actually, for the Bob Cousy Award, uh, the watch list. They have 20, uh, 20 names on the team, and uh, he was one of the uh, nominees, which is good for uh, Villanova. But um, so he's the, he's going to be the point guard and the on-floor leader. Jermaine Samuels is a senior who can do a lot of things. He can rebound. He can shoot the three. He can defend. He can pass. Um, he's sometimes a reluctant shooter, which drives people a little crazy because, uh, you know, sometimes he can make these shots and he'll pass them up in, in the uh, hope of finding a teammate with a better shot. Um, but so he, he's a solid guy, knows the system, and uh, is a very good uh, complimentary player. Jeremiah, Jeremiah Robinson Earl is, uh, I think, a, a star in the making. Uh, there were some people who thought he would leave after last season, uh, and he did kind of check the waters out briefly before deciding he would come back. And he said the reason he wanted to come back was that last year, you know, Villanova was just starting to play their best ball when uh, everything got shut down on March the 12th. Um, and he wanted to come back and, uh, you know, try for a championship, not just a Big East championship, but contend for a national championship. And I think Sadiq Bey wanted to do the same thing. But I think that uh, when it was believed that uh, he could be a possible, he could be a definite first round pick, but a possible lottery pick, I think um, Jace just sat him down and said, hey, this is the way you should do it. I mean, you really... Uh, you have this opportunity. You shouldn't. Uh, you should take advantage of it. So, uh, so he's gone. But uh, so we have um, um, Jermaine Samuels, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Colin Gillespie, uh, Sadiq Bey is gone. The fifth starter from last season's team will be a fourth starter here. It'd be either um, Justin Moore, who's a guard who uh, was a uh, all rookie selection last last year in the Big East. And he's an all uh, he's an all conference second team selection uh, in the preseason. And the, the other guy who started a lot last season is Cole Swider, a six foot eight forward from Rhode Island, who um, you know had had a good early part of the year, but once the Big East season started, things got a little uh, unraveled a little bit for him. He, he really wasn't shooting as well as he does. He's a really he's, JJ calls him like the best shooter on the team from three. Uh, in Big East play last year, though, he didn't really shoot that well, and I think he really feels like he needs to make that up uh, this year. So if that if that's your five starters, um, that's a pretty good group. The thing is, they're very tall. <laughs> Jay, Jay, Jay uh, perfected the four-guard uh, lineup uh, around the three-point arc, but this year all his guards are like 6'4 and 6'5. Gillespie's 6'3. He's, yeah. he's the short guy of the group. Doesn't seem like a bad problem to have, though. Yeah, really. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, they'll, they'll have some size. Uh, and Jay hopes that that size doesn't mean they're sacrificing quickness on the defensive end. So 
that's something that always has to be watched. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, it'll be a fun. It'll be certainly fun to see the see them in the flesh again. Finally, uh, well, I mean, it's like you said that, that UConn and Villanova have continued to play, but you know, it's just it's a different animal when it's a conference matchup. So you know, UConn obviously news broke about a, it was like June of 2019 or something like that. So it's been almost a year and a half since the news broke, but you know. This is obviously something UConn fans have been dying for for years. Like, you know, when the when UConn wound up in the American, it was like the end of days almost. So how is it received locally for you guys when UConn is announced that they're coming back? Were, were people happy about that? Were people annoyed? What was kind of the vibe like uh, in Villanova land, um, you know, when that news broke? Well, that's interesting. I don't think they minded. I, I think they liked having an Eastern rival uh, back. I know that the Villanova fans know what an established program UConn uh, is. Uh, you know, the, the Calhoun years, all those national championships, you know, guys like Rip Hamilton and, and Campbell Walker and people like that. I mean, you know, uh, you, you can't deny that UConn has quite a uh, history and culture for basketball. And I think the people at Villanova appreciate that. Uh, I know some maybe live in dread of it, uh, thinking that uh, the way Danny Hurley's been recruiting, <laughs> that they might pass him at some point. Who knows? But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure there are some Villanova fans who are like, oh, God, UConn, who wants them? But I, I'm sure the overwhelming majority uh, have a lot of respect for UConn, and uh, the two games they're going to be playing against them are going to be real nail-biters, believe me. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's let's kind of uh, dive back into some of the games then. Uh, probably the, a good place to start is last year's game because I thought that was a really interesting and instructive uh, view of what this could be. Um, UConn at that stage in the season had not – they were in the middle of a really frustrating stretch where they were playing really well against good teams, but they just couldn't close. And the game against Villanova was like, I think there was there was one more after this where that same thing happened. But it was like, you know, all these excruciating losses where you just walk away being like, they, they could have won that game. They, they should have won that game. And, um, you know, Villanova was like the best team they played all year. So, you know, to watch this game play out was like, on one hand, it was incredibly encouraging. And like, if UConn wins this game, I mean, that's like, you know, a season changer for them. But uh, you know, ultimately, you know, Villanova made the big plays down the stretch. Do you recall how, how you know what you were thinking as this game was going on? Because I know you know UConn t- takes the lead, Villanova makes a big run to take the lead at halftime, and then it was kind of a similar kind of back and forth thing until the end. Uh, what, were, what were you thinking uh, during this game last year? Well, I was. I think the thing that I was thinking mainly was uh, when uh, they came out for the second half. Uh, UConn's guards took over. Uh, Book Knight and uh, Vital. Vital. I don't. I never. Vital. He goes. It's a uh, Vital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they they really uh, overwhelmed Villanova. Uh, they. Um, I think they scored on like uh, every trip down the the court. It, it seemed like they were uh, scoring. I think it was ten straight trips they scored. And uh, they took a big lead. Well, a big lead at the time was six, but still it was, you know, Villanova had been pretty much in control the whole game. And then uh, Jay Wright, who, you know, only uh, plays zone defense uh, for, like, special occasions, felt that this was a special occasion, and he went to his zone, which, you know, I think everybody was surprised to see it. But they kind of got the guards under control in that at that point. So I think that was a, uh, a good thing that he did. I think it was um, four and a half minutes 
uh, UConn scored only two points and Villanova took the lead back. And then, like you said, it was kind of a seesaw game until Villanova started to pull away. Uh, Gillespie in that game, by the way, did not score for the first 26 minutes of the game, which for uh, that that's uh, pretty much impossible. But obviously he was still in engaged in all other areas, uh, you know, setting up his teammates and playing good defense against the, all the good guards that UConn had. And then uh, they went ahead in the last four minutes, uh, thanks to Samuels, who scored eight of his 19 uh, during that time, including a conventional three-point play and a, and a, and a real three-point basket. Robinson Earl uh, finished off the game by hitting three uh, one-and-ones, which was pretty interesting. But here's the thing, and I wrote this down, Mac. I just wanted to go, this, uh, go over this. Uh, UConn turned the ball over 17 times, and Villanova scored 23 points off of that. Mm-hmm. But Villanova scored, hit 47.8% from three and 30.8% from two. They only hit eight two-point baskets in the whole game, eight out of 26, which is pretty pretty bad, actually. Yeah, and UConn was almost the opposite. They were totally automatic from up close, and they go two for 15 from behind the arc, which was yeah. Yeah. not 30, what you want. 36-12 <laughs> points in the paint for UConn. That, that's like, I saw that. I, I was like, that, that can't be right, because... UConn's front court was last year was certainly not a strength of the team. And, you know, I think this was the first game after uh, Tyler Pauly had uh, torn his ACL. So he's their best shooter. And he's also a big, he had an awesome game in the game before, right? Basically he gets hurt in practice. So, you know, that's kind of a huge gut punch. So, you know, as far as um, Isaiah Whaley really had a huge uh, second half of the season for UConn, but he, I don't think he even plays in this game. So to see that they like outscored him in the paint by that much, I, I was like, how? <laughs> that's yeah. like, that's not their, I mean, it was obviously the guards where it's just slashing to the basket a lot and, you know, just kind of do it, just killing them inside. It was just really strange to see it happen that way, just because that was just not really the strength of the team. Um, but and it was also made you think like, geez, like, they shoot a little better than they definitely win this game. So that's kind of the, there's your frustration and to go with the encouragement because yeah, the zone defense and the turnovers just really stymied them down the stretch. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah, that did, that did slow them down quite a bit. And, and, uh, and, and Villanova played better in the second part of the second half than they did in the first part. So that does help things along pretty well. Yeah, well, you know, there's something to be said about closing a game. You know, that was something that, uh, you know, UConn really struggled with for quite a while. It wasn't until the Tulsa road game where UConn finally got over the hump against one of those better teams, and then they pretty much beat everybody else after that. You know, I was looking through the box score, too. I noticed another thing. Uh, Jalen Gaffney, uh, UConn's uh, freshman point guard, uh, he only plays 17 minutes at two points. He hardly does anything. And, you know, once he starts to play more later in the season, it was like a game changer. You know, Book, book Knight, he started. Uh, it was actually, this might have been his first uh, his first start. Uh, if it wasn't his first start, then it was like, once Polly going down is really when he took on a much bigger role. Um, you know, he's only scores five points. You know, it's, he, he isn't really quite book night yet. It was, uh, still kind of the Altery Gilbert and, uh, you know, Christian Vitale was great all season, but Gilbert had, yeah, we, we like Altery Gilbert, but he, he struggled a lot this season. And, um, it was kind of things, this, it made you think like, geez, if, if Villanova came back to uh, Gamble Pavilion or something in March, you feel you felt like you could have taken them, which is it's a big a lot of progress for UConn given some of the you know, last year was certainly a step forward, but a couple of the last few years before that were really tough. 
Uh, so right. it was it was uh, it was fr- equally parts frustrating and really encouraging for sure. Um, d- yeah, I wanted to point out too, uh, Mac, that uh, you, you mentioned finishing the game, and Villanova had uh, to that point really shown a very good aptitude for finishing the game. They had played Kansas at the Wells Fargo Center three weeks before the UConn game, and uh, pulled that one out in the last minute with the help of uh, Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels. And then uh, they went to Creighton. Um, this was, I think, the game before uh, the Connecticut game. They played at Creighton. Creighton led for 32 minutes. Villanova led for three, and Villanova won because they they had the, the best finishing kick. Uh, Sadiq Bey had shot poorly the whole game, had a couple big baskets down the stretch, and Gillespie was just incredible. I, I think he scored 24 points on 10 shots, so... That was uh, that was a pretty big win for Nova, but that kind of proved to them that they are that they were closing games effectively, and I think that's maybe what the uh, difference was against UConn. You know, an experienced team that could close and had proven themselves to themselves that they could against a team that was still struggling with that, a younger team. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Jay, Jay Wright is certainly. You know, he's built a well-oiled machine. You know, he he's a guy I think that, you know, all UConn fans had a lot of respect for him back in the, the pre, uh, you know, the pre back in the old Big East days. But, uh-huh. you know, he really elevated himself in a lot of people's eyes, certainly around here from being like, you know, oh, Jerry Wright's a really good coach to being like that guy's a future Hall of Famer. Like just a, you know, he's he's just unbelievable. You know, just it's you know it's it's obvious. Just the, the, you watch any Villanova team now, and you're like, you know, those guys can play, and those guys like they know they can play, and they know they can win. You know, it's 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 a, uh, you know, I'm not gonna say that Jay Wright was ever not a not a great coach, but it definitely has opened a lot of eyes for sure. Like just oh, what, yeah. what he's I'm, been I'm able sure to do. Some of your fans probably think he's a good dresser too. I guess. <laughs> Hey, the guy is cool. I can't remember there, there was we were at the Paul one time, and and, and the kids are uh, the the uh, student section at the Paul, which is not very big. This was back when they played in the uh, old Allstate Arena in uh, Rosemont, which mm. is a really terrible place to play. But the, their student section is right next to the Villanova bench, and Jay comes out and he kind of looks up briefly to see the kids, and there's only maybe thirty of them, and they're all chanting, "Nice shoot, suit Jay." Nice suit, Jay. Nice suit, Jay. So, anyway. That's a nice compliment. Dude, Jay is as cool as a cucumber. It just reminded me, like, after that buzzer beater, he didn't react at all. Just, like, barely. I don't think he even smirked. He just turned and, you know, shook Roy Williams' hand and, you know. I think Roy Williams had to come over to him and say, Jay, the game is over. Jay thought there was still, like, five-tenths of a second on the clock or something when, when Jenkins hit the shot. And uh, I think he really didn't know how to react. I mean, it was it was certainly something. It reminded me a lot of uh, Larry Bird in the. Uh, did you see the Last Dance? Um, yes. Uh, uh, so yeah, there's the the part obviously where Larry Bird's coaching the Pacers and Reggie Miller hits that huge uh, shot and everybody in the building is freaking out except for La- Larry Bird. They they zoom in and he's standing there completely stone faced because he he knows like yeah Jordan's gonna get the ball and. Yeah, <laughs> Jay had some. They definitely gave off some of that, those kind of vibes for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, is Jay Wright's great. Uh, it's gonna be fun to play him again. Um, so let's uh, you know, talk rivalry stuff. You know, UConn Villanova. They played tons of great games. Um, I'm sure you probably have some uh, you're particularly fond of. Well, just the, there's there's one that just stands out in my head because it was such a cool day. It was the Martin Luther King game in 2011 at Gamble. Um, the time that uh, Kemba hit the winning shot with 2.5 seconds to go. But it was just a, 
a terrific game in a terrific atmosphere. Uh, that's one of the few times I've been in Gamble, actually. Usually when they've played UConn, it's been in Hartford. You know, I, I'm having, you know, I was definitely at that game, and now I'm, like, doubting myself here. I thought I could have sworn that oh, game was that at a... you mentioned? I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I no, I, I could have sworn that game was in Hartford. You know what? Let's, uh, let me fact check this in real time. Because, yeah, that game was unbelievable. Like, I never, never heard it so loud in my life. Uh, so this is you're talking. It's the Kembo at the basically at the buzzer, right? Like just goes. Well, uh, the Villanova still had a shot from midcourt that hit the rim. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that was. Yeah. It, 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 for all intents and purposes, it was a yeah. buzzer beater. No, you are correct. It was at Gamble. Yeah, and yeah, no, it was it was that it was loud. <laughs> it was yeah. it was it was a wild scene. Now, oh man, you're bringing back some memories here. So really, of all the of all the games, that's that was that's the one that stands out because uh, that's the one that sticks. I, I thought I, I was being I a homer by bringing that up. The one at, uh, in Buffalo, the one where Shabazz Napier went crazy and <laughs> and helped Connecticut get to the second uh, weekend of the tournament and then winning winning it all. And you know, Jay Wright said, "I knew when he hit that shot that they were going to win it all. I just had that feeling because I, I guess that's what." Uh, Whenever UConn beats Villanova, they usually go on to win the championship. I don't know. Well, I mean, at least to this, at least this this decade, I guess you're not wrong <laughs> to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, no. Getting back to the 2011 game, I mean, you know, Nova was ranked seventh, and UConn was ranked eighth, and everybody was, uh, you know, going out of their minds uh, that night. It was it was a pretty incredible uh, sight, really. Yeah. So I'm looking at the box score now. Uh, Corey Fisher from Villanova was the game's leading scorer here. He has 28 points in 36 minutes. Uh, he has um, six assists, t- 10 for 22 from the field. He was just just pouring them on. And no turnovers. The no. thing was, he had 28 points and they scored 59. So it wasn't a very good offensive game if your name wasn't Corey Fisher. Yeah, and then, you know, on the other side, Kemba here is 24 points on uh, six, six for 18. He, he didn't really shoot very well. Uh, nine for 12 from the, the free throw line. So he, he was just getting to the basket a whole lot. Uh, he had three turnovers, uh, five assists. You know, this was, yeah, I think this was definitely, you know, that, that UConn improved to 15 and two with this win. So this was, I think, one of those, for sure, one of those games where, you know, we'd seen signs of it in the Maui Invitational and, you know, some games here and there. And you're like, man, this UConn team could be something. But yeah, the beating Villanova in this game was the first time I think a lot of us were like, like, man, like this is something else. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. No doubt about it. Uh, uh, but of course, when you had a Kemble Walker, I mean, things seemed to be uh, if you had a Kemble Walker on the floor, especially like you mentioned, him going six for 18. Um, you knew who was going to get the ball on the last shot. And you knew that it had a really good chance of being a basket and a win for UConn. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I yeah, that was a good time for sure. Uh, and I, so just while we're kind of on the subject of like kind of that era, the next year, obviously, uh, UConn comes to uh, Philadelphia and UConn, you know, the 2012 UConn team was really on the ropes at that point. And then Shabazz hits that just absolutely preposterous three-pointer, basically at the buzzer from like, I don't know, like 40 feet away, like just like just absurd. It was a, like an insane shot, like an insane decision. And he makes it. And, uh, you know, there's that famous TV shot of the cheerleader just, like, looking absolutely dumbstruck. What was it What was it like to be in that building for that? Like, the fans must have just been absolutely, like, apoplectic or something. Well, the thing was, though, um, two years before, I, I noticed this game, um, the Villanova was ranked, and they came into the game 22-2, and two, and UConn was, like, 14-11 and 11 or something. And UConn beat them at the Wachovia Center 84-75. So... 
I guess the next trip to the Wach- I don't think they played at the Wachovia Center in 2011, but in 2012, like you mentioned, Shabazz hits that 30-footer in overtime, and and uh, the Huskies win again in South Philadelphia. So it's like, uh, I don't know. I think the fans were uh, <laughs> were not happy because when you played at the Wachovia Center, you usually had 15,000, 16,000 people watching, and it was not uh, not a happy moment. I don't remember really too much about that game, to be honest with you, uh, Mac, it's uh, it's a little hazy to me, and I didn't really do a lot of research on it. That's fine. I just fine. remembered, it's, that. It's I just thin, remembered the, uh, the shot by Napier. Yeah, it certainly stands out for UConn fans, just because the, the 2012 season was really a pretty big disappointment. Because you know the reigning national champs, you know Kemba's gone, but they have a ton of talent. You've got Andre Drummond, who is like the biggest recruit we've had in a couple right. of years at that point. You know, the team was underachieving and it's like, we felt like, okay, we really need to get a win here. And, you know, when they won that game, we're like, okay, like it's not looking great, like, but they're going to be in the tournament at least now. So it's going to be fine. Um, I, (laughs) so I was not at this game. Obviously I was, uh, I I was not working on the beat anymore. Now I'm like kind of in a a different role at the paper. So I'm at the office with like, I, I, I'll never forget this. I was on big Monday so our like production meetings were on Monday nights. So we get out of our meetings and there's like 35 people like crammed around the small TV in the student newspapers newsroom. And when that shot goes up, it was in the air long enough for like somebody to groan like, no, what are you doing? Then it goes in and it was just pandemonium, like people like jumping on like there's like a legit pig pile in the middle of the room. It was uh, quite a scene for sure. Uh, obviously a very different scene than you had over there. <laughs> uh, for sure. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing, though, like, you know, Villanova always, you know, insists that, you know, they have to play a number of games a year in South Philadelphia at the Wells Fargo Center, and it's uh, it's not always, like, the best place to play because you're always playing a, you know, a very good opponent. You know, you don't play the worst teams in the in the league at the Wells Fargo Center. You play the best teams there, and sometimes things don't go your way. In fact, um, even this past season, you know, Villanova really had to work to beat UConn at the Wells Fargo Center. And later in the year, they lost to Creighton and to Seton Hall at the Wells Fargo Center. So they're trying to uh, to uh, contend with both of those teams for the uh, Big East regular season championship. And they and uh, they lost to both of them at home. Uh, and then they all finished uh, the same record in the Big East, making a three-way uh, split for the regular season championship. So, yeah, it's not always the best idea to play at the Wells Fargo Center there. Do fan- the other team is pretty good too. Yeah, do fans at least enjoy the experience? Because for UConn, we play. You know, UConn plays a lot of their games at the XL Center in Hartford, and uh, right. fans do not really enjoy that at all. Uh, it's it's basically just kind of like a you know throwing a bone to the you know the state you know the state government to try to you know boost downtown Hartford. Basically, that's right. all it yeah. is. I imagine that's not quite the same reason that Villanova does it, but uh, do the fans? Would they prefer not be the case, or do they do they get up for those games? Uh, they don't really like to drive. They, well, at least here's the thing: like Villanova's fans don't like going to the Palestra because there's no place to park, and they always have to park like miles away and walk to the game, and they don't really like that. At least at the Wells Fargo Center, there's a big parking lot where you know you don't have to uh, you don't have to walk very far. But uh, I, I get the feeling they're not they're not thrilled with it, but. But then the other place is the pavilion, which is 6,500 and had a renovation. And since the renovation, um, only the highest of the high rollers get, you know, preferential uh, seating there. So people aren't real happy with that either. 
later, but that's that's another story. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that's kind of a fun dynamic, I guess. But oh well. Well, anyway, I, I don't. I think it was probably a good time to wrap it up. So, uh, well, you know, before I let you go, is there any other? Do you have any other thoughts on Yukon Villanova in general? And I don't know, just uh, just you know, thoughts on the rivalry moving forward. Well, uh, it was something that uh, Jay said. Uh, who was he talking to? We had him on couple weeks ago on zoom and uh he was talking about you know what a what a a ton of respect he has for the work that danny hurley's been doing i'm sorry i know he's dan hurley i I, i'm just used to calling him dan we we all do the same thing don't worry uh but 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 the job dan's doing with recruiting and and the fact that they're going to be in the big east now and i think it's it's um there's just a lot of optimism flowing it seems in uh in stores and um you know, I think that uh, they certainly have the respect of Villanova, and I, th- I think the other teams that have played UConn in the past uh, really know what they're capable of when they flex all their, you know, their muscles in recruiting and convincing kids that hey, this program was a very is a very proud program and has a wonderful history, and uh, we're ready to make some more history now that we're back in the Big East. And I think a lot of people need to reckon uh, reckon with that and. Uh, and see how it all works out. But uh, I, I, I know I'm excited to see UConn play. I don't know how many games I'm going to see or how many games are going to be played. They're going to try to play 27, 20 in the league, and uh, we'll see how that works out in a pandemic. But uh, uh, hopefully everything comes out okay and, uh, and we're playing basketball and people are healthy and everything's going uh, well once again. I, I sure hope so. Believe me, uh, this basically podcast began after the uh, pandemic shut everything down. So I've just been praying for uh, a season, you know, this, you know, for UConn to finally be back in the Big East and have the season be canceled just would have been a really tough pill to swallow. But sure. it does look like it's going to happen. It sure seems like they're really going to try to make it work. So yeah, it's going to be a good time. I can't wait. So, um, yep. Joe, thank you so much. I really appreciate your taking the time. Uh, where can people find you and, you know, your, your work, uh, you know, anything, you know, social media, any, you know, anything you want to plug, anything like that? Well, my Twitter uh, feed is at uh, Joe Jules Inc. That's J-O-E-J-U-L-E-S-I-N-Q. Um, and we're on uh, our website is uh, inquire.com slash sports. Uh, it is a paid website, but hopefully you'll get a few free stories before they ask you for your money. Um, and uh, that's about it, really. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, we'll, we'll see uh, how it works during uh, as, as we try to get fit football season in, in addition to basketball season. Oh, definitely. Very good. Well, thank you so much again for joining. And, uh, yeah, and for all of you guys out there, thank you all for listening. We'll, uh, we're going to be back next week. And uh, just a quick uh, – one more quick thing I should just mention. This uh, Obviously, if you're listening to this uh, today, we're, we're recording this on Monday. It'll be dropping on Tuesday, Election Day. So if any of you guys happen to be listening to this while the polls are still open, make sure you guys get out there and vote, especially you Villanova people. You guys, you know, in Connecticut – Let's put it this way. It's not a lot of drama of how it's going to go here, but, you know, Pennsylvania people really have a a unique opportunity to really make an impact. So go out there and vote. Go do your civic duty. And uh, we'll, you know, 
hopefully have some great basketball awaiting us. Um, yeah, so anyway, you guys all know the drill. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Max Cerullo, M-A-C-C-E-R-U-L-L-O. My DMs are open. Email is yesuconpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, just, you know, hit us up on, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, five-star reviews and review and all that good stuff helps us in the those algorithms and you know all good stuff so we will be back next week and uh, we hope to see you guys all later